Welcome back to Squinting at the Good Folks. This is Namek and Trox, and we have a special treat for y'all. We have a guest star, because we've risen to the status where you can get one's girlfriend to sit with you and do a podcast. Yeah, um, and so, but, you know, to protect the innocent... Uh, or the guilty. Or the guilty. Or the guilty. We, we do not know whether we want to use her name, so... Yeah, so le- leave a message on any of the places you might be able to contact us. It, it is yet to be shown whether or not we'll check it promptly, but <laughs> uh, theoretically we have a Gmail and you find the website right. and uh, Twitter and Facebook. Yes, uh, our guest star is a student right now. Uh, yeah, senior, graduating a couple, couple graduated weeks. Graduated in a couple weeks. Yeah. Uh, she uh, studies bio. Not a couple weeks. Well, like, like a couple of months, I yeah, suppose, which yeah. is a couple of weeks composed of <laughs> so so you compounded couple of weeks. Biochemistry? No. No, cell and molecular biology. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, okay. so she's a cell and molecular cell biology, biology, biology. Chemistry minor, right? Yeah. Chemistry With minor. With plans to go to medical school. Yes. In medical theory. School. Medical school. Medical, yeah. In theory. In theory. You never know. You, life changes. Life knows? changes. You could decide that, you know, research is your thing and PhD is the route, right? Yeah. Uh, but, but you so know, this is precedent setting because we have yet. This is the first time we've ever had a, a you know, a, a guest star. Yeah. And so, the question is: Should we use pseudonyms for everybody? Should we think of some really cool ancient Greek names that are kind of like the people? You yeah. Know, asking your listeners these questions really works best when it's live. So well, we're working there. Recording. Yeah. In theory, in theory, live streaming is coming, folks. We're 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 sorting out the technical difficulties, but we'll get there eventually. Yeah. This but, is a good point. You know. <laughs> The first ancient uh, Greek physician was actually it's probably this guy named Asclepius. 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 He's like the the Would you legendary. Like to be Asclepius. The legendary. Asclepius. Legendary. It sounds like a disease. I'd rather not. Okay, let's okay. see. There's Asclepius. There is what's his name? Hippo, hi, uh, Hippocrates. Hippocrates. No, Hippocrates. No. Hippocrates. He's the guy they named the Hippocratic Oath after, right? Yeah, you could, uh, you could be Hippocrates. There's the likelihood of us ever getting an actual doctor to come on our podcast is low. Yeah, <laughs> um, actually, I think that's antithetical to the spirit of squinting. I think at the it good. is too. I think it is too. So you could, you could, you could be. Oh, a so when I become an actual <laughs> doctor, I don't have to do this again. Yes, you are disqualified from participation Sounds in our <laughs> in our in our podcast program uh, because you're an expert. And that's of course if either of us ever become credible at anything. That would also... We'll have to end the podcast. Yeah, we'll have to end the podcast. Like, our, our last episode will be, like, Nemec graduating from PhD school, where he can go to teach people theology for the rest of his life. <laughs> and then I am no longer qualified to be a podcaster. Exactly. Now you, Then you're qualified to, to do a theology podcast, because now you're an expert. Ah, I see. Yeah. We yeah. can all philosophize, but we can't really... There's only a, there's a right way to theologize and a wrong way to theologize. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the alternatively, there's another ancient Greek physician by the name of Galen. He's kind of famous. You want to be Galen? Galen. Galen works. Galen, Galen works. works. Okay, we could do Galen. What did Galen do? Physician he, things. He wrote a medical textbook, maybe. I don't know. A medical know textbook sounds good. That works. All right, yeah. so we have Galen with us. Um, she is a pseudo expert in all things science and medicine. Which is great because we're uh, pseudo experts in philosophy. Oh, everything else, right? And everything else. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If you separate everything else into, uh, you know, medical things and science things and non-medical and science things, I mean, that pretty much works. Yeah. 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 So, okay, there's some pressing questions. I think this podcast is going to be since it's an intro. I think we're just going to ask you a bunch of medical and science questions that we think our listeners might might feel the same way with, and uh, then we can get some answers. Sounds good. Okay, so. I, if our listeners can tell, I have been uh, battling a cold, hopefully not the coronavirus, hopefully not the flu, just a cold, but 
on the up and up, but we'll see. So I've been thinking, if I had like a, like the flu or like some sort of bacterial infection, maybe like a sinus yeah. infection or a, a sore throat infection thing, couldn't I just take like a lot of vodka in my mouth and just gargle it and it'll disinfect and kill the bacteria in my throat that's causing me to be sick? And oh, then I yeah. can spit it out and I'll be, I'll be better, right? Well... This is better than some of your previous questions in our real life about, you know, if you just get drunk on vodka, will it kill the virus? Well, I still think that'll work, too. This one is actually slightly more plausible. <laughs> well, so if my, um, if my gut, if I have, like, I don't know, what, what, what diseases can you get from your stomach? If I have food poisoning? Yeah. yeah. If I have food poisoning and I eat some, like, kind of really bad-smelling fish, shouldn't I be able to drink, like, an utter crap load of sake and just, you know, no, wash it through? No, because you'll vomit it all up. Oh. Oh. Yeah. So would that be would that be a way to fix it? If you had food poisoning, you can't hold down anything except like water and saltines, and that's why your body vomits is it's trying to get rid of all of that bad bacteria. So if you just get drunk on a whole bunch of alcohol, you're just gonna vomit a whole bunch of alcohol probably almost instantly. Oh. So it won't yeah. do anything. So, so oh. but but wait. So as a, as a quick follow up. <clears throat> so suppose I was at a restaurant and uh, you know ate some kind of sketchy food, but it's okay. Then, like an hour later, let's get hammered. Would that work? I haven't gotten food poisoning yet, but I've ingested potentially <laughs> hazardous material. So this is like boiling your water before you drink yeah, it, right? Yeah, I'm is boiling it... my stomach in alcohol. A, that statement makes no sense. <laughs> I'm boiling my stomach in alcohol. That's that's yeah. a podcast name. Um, yeah. yeah, that can be the title of this podcast. Um, <laughs> oh, all right, we did it. We did it, boys. There we go. And ladies and everyone. I so very desperately want to tell you that it won't work, but I can't but think of a great reason yes. why it wouldn't. Victory. But I'm highly suspicious of this. Well, so now I, I would imagine there's two, There's as the non-scientist, <clears throat> I have some science objections to it. The first being that it seems that stomach acid is hydrochloric, right? Hydrochloric acid? Yeah. you Hydrochloric acid. It would seem to just be already an inhospitable environment for bacteria in general, and uh, if it can, if the bacteria that's going to cause me to get food poisoning can survive hydrochloric acid, you know, it should survive alcohol too, right? I mean, technically, they're two different chemicals that you have to survive, and so it's possible that a bacteria that can survive hydrochloric acid can't survive alcohol because it's two different mechanisms mm. that you would need to survive either one of them. And so, you know, a lot of things can survive hydrochloric acid, but you start dousing them in, you know, 100 proof alcohol for extended periods of time. Or 120 for barrel strength folks. In yeah, the <laughs> for extended period of time, then, you know, it's going to break down. But, you know, time is an issue here, but, you know. Well, okay, so so we've all been told since childhood that, you know, hand sanitizer, all the alcohol, you know, Lysol spray, 99.9% .9 of yeah. germs get killed, right? How does alcohol actually kill anything? Other than, like, when your liver fails. That's, that's pretty obvious. Just in general? Or yeah, like, if, like, if I'm trying to disinfect something and I use alcohol, what does it do? Well, you can do a couple different things. A lot of times it will disrupt a lot of cell surface receptors that are happening, and so the exterior environment of your cell begins to break down, which it doesn't like. Um, it can also interfere with a lot of intracellular processes. Mm -hmm. Is 
alcohol can pass through cell membranes very easily. Mm. And once it gets into the cell, it's not supposed to be there, and it starts just interfering with absolutely everything. So are you saying it basically does to the cell what it does to you? It just kind of interferes with everything and makes things not work the way it's supposed to? Makes your cells drunk. Makes your cells drunk? Kind of. The reason you get drunk from alcohol is because it prevents oxygen from entering your brain, and so you actually become hypoxic, and that's why... That's why the euphoric comes from, Yeah, that's where the euphoria comes from, is because you're actually hypoxic, which is why different people have different um, drunk symptoms and tolerances. Um, And so it actually probably just kind of makes your cells hypoxic. Um, So Interesting. I guess you could say it makes them drunk. So whenever you, like you know, take a swig of alcohol, is the burning sensation because, like, the top layer of cells in your... Just gets sheared off. Yeah, it just gets, like, killed by the... Is, is yeah, like, that's a good point. What causes the throat burn? I don't know if they'd be killed, but your epithelial cells definitely don't like it. Is okay. that the fancy word for throat cells? Yes. Okay. Ooh, epithelial cells. That's, that's a pretty word. But say, your, but say your epidermal cells, right? Your Those skin cells. Those are also epithelial cells. Okay, but they're, but you know, but when, they're you not hand, throat when you hand sanitize, right, you know, you... Those cells are dead. They're dead. Oh. Okay, there that's we go. Why, so the cells but are... But that's hand- why when you have like a paper cut, it gets in there and starts oh. interacting with all of those epithelial cells that are still alive because it's a multi-layer cell oh, okay. tissue. Um, so... Your outer layer of skin is dead, and that's part of your body's protection against a lot of things, including rubbing alcohol all over you. But if you notice after hand sanitizer, your hands do dry out. Um, and so it does that's cause... That's from evaporating, right? Well, it's from evaporating, but it also, you know, through osmosis, causes water to leave your cells okay. a little bit. And so that's also why it's important to drink water when you drink alcohol, because it dehydrates you. So, Nimit, do you have... I, I asked my first pressing question. Do you have a pressing question? Yeah, okay. So, say I'm trying to lose weight, right? Is, hypothetically, of Hypothetically, Nimic, of course. Nimic has the physique of a Greek god for In, our listeners. Indeed. Like, once we once we get the, the streaming services figured you'll out... You'll be able to see. You'll Which see. Which Greek god in particular is well, yet we're, to be determined? Yes, yes. Yeah, I mean a Greek god. Yes, okay. But Sam, Sam, hypothetically trying to lose weight, would getting a tapeworm being an effective way of losing weight <laughs> Yeah, like a small one, a little baby. Oh, yeah, a little tapeworm, you know? A little tapeworm. In the right spot. I don't want a brain tapeworm. That'd be bad. Well, that's not where tapeworms live. Well, but you the eggs can, can get... get brain really? Tapeworms. Yeah. Okay, yeah. hey, today I learned. You can oh, get I got tapeworms. him to wash his lettuce. Yeah, you can <laughs> get tapeworms anywhere, dude. Like, okay. You can get leg tapeworms, so, head so tapeworms. So say I got a tapeworm in the right place in, in, your my, stomach. in my stomach or my mm-hmm. esophagus. I'm not my esophagus. Esophagus would be weird. <laughs> be weird. In my intestinal tract... Um, would, would that be an effective way of losing weight? The tapeworm diet, so to speak? Well, the reason tapeworm diets kind of became a thing is because the idea Wait, is people that actually did that? People actually do that, What? Yeah. I thought this was hypothetical. People tapewormed themselves? Yeah. Yes, this is why it's a thing. People How did they do it? You ingest a tapeworm. Like, a live one? Um, Eggs. usually an egg. Oof. Yeah. That's sketchy, guys. It's like it, a like pill, like a tapeworm Yeah, pill? you can take a pill... Um, ingest some tapeworms and the idea behind it is that the tapeworm eats the nutrients from the food that you're eating and so you know one of the symptoms of having a tapeworm is indeed weight loss however it's an incredibly dangerous way to Why lose is it dangerous? weight um it well, seems like parasites can you know yeah well, well, you, know, you just mean, gotta put it the right spot yeah if you eat enough food it seems like it'd be fine well i mean eventually the tapeworm will like grow to fill your entire small intestine and could potentially kill you 
Well, you and, remove it first. Well, yeah, but to remove it, you have to have it removed surgically. Well, yeah. And so the surgeon literally has to cut you open, cut open your small intestine, and start pulling out the tapeworm inch by inch by inch. And if it breaks, then it spews stuff everywhere, and you go septic. Um, oh. And so, but how effective is it? Like risk reward here. I mean, it sounds like high risk, but if it's high reward, you know. Oh, pretty low <clears throat> reward. Can you, um, can you eat whatever you want? You know. Could I give a tapeworm diabetes? <laughs> You cannot give a tapeworm <laughs> diabetes. That would require a circulatory system with blood and insulin. But Tapeworms don't have that. Tapeworms. I don't think they have insulin, but, you know, I'm sure someone will correct me and be like, actually. Actually. So, actually. Yeah. Actually. Tapeworms have a pancreas. Have, and yeah. <laughs> tapeworms have a pancreas. They do not have a pancreas. And so <laughs> you do lose weight with a tapeworm and if you were trying to lose weight, theoretically, you could start eating whatever you wanted. But I think the risks do not outweigh the reward right. is okay. to get the kind of weight loss that a lot of people want. You have to have a tapeworm for a long time. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Okay. It gets too big. Okay. If we theoretically wanted to avoid getting a tapeworm, how do we do that? Wash lettuce. Wash your lettuce. vegetables. Vegetables. I always thought tapeworms were transmitted by tainted meat, like uh, or a, a, a pig or a cow that has a tapeworm. Tapeworms will... can be transmitted through a lot of means. Um, a lot of times they're transmitted through meat, right? And so if your cow or your pig had a tapeworm, the eggs get into the muscle tissue, and then you eat that, and then you can get a tapeworm. That's partly why it's important to cook your meat all the way through, is the heat will crack the eggs open, and then, mm. you know, your body just, you know, yeah, digests the them. The tapeworm isn't living. But um, they get onto vegetables through animal excrement. Uh, okay. Is the animals will you know poop and the tapeworm eggs are in the poop and then it gets on your lettuce or your other things. Usually your leafy vegetables. And so hmm. this is why one of the reasons why you should always 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 wash your vegetables. But it says triple washed, ready to eat on the package. Don't believe them. But can't are I you really them? gonna trust corporate America <laughs> when they tell you that they triple wash the lettuce? I mean, aren't they legally responsible if I get a tapeworm? And I well, I'd have to prove it. Ooh, yeah. That becomes problematic. Yeah. That becomes problematic Burden unless you're proof. recording every single time you eat lettuce, which nobody is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, that's a good. That's a good question. Yeah. Okay. For our listeners, what are the symptoms of tapeworms besides weight loss? Is there any way you know whether you have a tapeworm or not? I actually don't know the symptoms of tapeworm. You're a cell and molecular other. biologist. <laughs> yeah, I'm a cell and molecular Speculate. biologist. Speculate. Um, We're squinting at the good. This is not. This is. is, Go to WebMD. Actually, don't go to WebMD. Yeah. Mayo Clinic. Um, If I was to guess, you would probably also have a fever because your body would recognize that you know it's a foreign entity and not want it to be there. Um, You would also possibly have an elevated white blood cell count. Again, Mm -hmm. a foreign entity living in your body. Would you feel squirming? You wouldn't feel squirming. You know, they're That's pretty good. stationary. They just kind of latch on to your intestines. And so abdominal pain okay. would likely be another symptom. And so hmm. a combination of, you know, fever, abdominal pain, weight loss, you know, it's possible they might start releasing something yeah. that your body doesn't respond well to either. But, you know, abdominal pain certainly would be I, one of the major ones. Have you ever ones. seen pictures of tapeworms before? Yeah, they're scary. They are scary they're looking. So gross. Very scary. scary looking. I will not be making the picture for our podcast a tapeworm. <laughs> I thought about it briefly for about five seconds, but I realized that's a great way to help you people unsubscribe. So I, well, I don't think we have a subscribe button anywhere. 
Yeah, we do. You can we subscribe do? on Spotify. Oh, subscribe on Spotify. Well, you can subscribe. News to me. There you go, guys. I mean, subscribe. Galen is one of is our one listener, maybe our one subscriber, <laughs> maybe. We know this much. I think we have a couple listeners. A couple listeners. Just a couple. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Question. But next question. Next question. So I know that warfarin is rat poison, and I know how it works because the rats eat it, and rats are very—they're clever. They will eat something by nibbles, wait a couple days, see if it killed them, eat a little bit more, and they're really good at figuring out when their stomach's going to, you know, not be good. And uh, warfarin acts slow enough that they ingest enough of it that their blood gets too thin and they die, which is cool. And, of course, uh, some people will take warfarin for a blood, as a blood thinner when they have, uh, what, low blo- high blood pressure? High blood pressure. Yeah. So, I know that certain species of leeches release a, uh, a chemical into the blood to, it's kind of like, it's not an anticoagulant, but it's a blood thinner. And it makes the blood run, you know, in a way that they can suck quicker and better. So instead of spending a lot of money on warfarin and, you know, fancy pants blood pressure medication, <laughs> couldn't you just go down to the local pond, find yourself a couple of blood suckers, and just, you know, pop them on for a couple minutes each day and pop them off? <laughs> Leeches when they secrete blood thinners or, you know, anticoagulant actually, I think might be I'm not sure if it's an actual blood it. term. Yeah, or um, blood thinner. It might be more but of But it tends to be a very localized <laughs> effect, right? Is that, you know, while that chemical will certainly circulate throughout your entire bloodstream, they're typically not releasing enough of it unless it's like a very large leech or you have a lot of leeches to actually, you know, thin your entire blood. And so it's typically mm. a very localized effect. And so... I don't think you could adequately decrease your high blood pressure on a daily basis through, you know, just a couple of leeches. Okay. You would need a lot of leeches every day, and I, then you get anemic. Yeah, yeah that, that's what I was just thinking. Wouldn't your body not be able to produce enough blood to... Well, if it's quick enough and you leave the leech on for, like, a couple minutes, it seems like it's not going to suck that much blood. Oh, no, that definitely wouldn't be effective. It would have to be sustained leech sucking lots of leeches you know every couple of days or every day um and at that point you're losing lots of blood and have other problems couldn't you just get a blood transfusion every day that's expensive blood is hard to come by what if you know some people that would donate blood willingly or unwillingly to help you yeah, so, you know, like, uh, subscribe to Donate Blood and you yeah. receive certain, you know, premium benefits. benefits. Yeah. Or... It's like a Patreon. You, you send blood and we pay you. It's like eat reverse. right and take your blood pressure no, no, medication. No, Pop no, an aspirin. You get... No, Pop no, no, no. Aspirin. Here we go, here we go, here we go. You get to listen to the podcast if you're a <laughs> we take you. <laughs> we take your blood. We're like reverse vampires. <laughs> that's funny. That's, that's, an, funny. Inter- that's an interesting model. Yeah. That means yeah. I can't listen to the podcast. You like your blood? I can't donate blood. They won't let me. Really? Yeah. That's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> huh. There you go. I've never tried. I should, probably. Yeah. I don't know if they'd let me either. I have to try. No, I'm under the weight requirements. Oh. Okay. Yeah, yeah Galen is very slight. barely at the height requirement. And there's a height under... requirement? Well, yeah. So, you know, there's like a, huh. you know, you have to be like 5'4", weigh 120 pounds. Otherwise, blood it's... volume? That... It's a blood volume, but otherwise it becomes dangerous for you if they start taking your blood. Hmm. Um, and I'm at about 5'4 and weigh less than 120 pounds, so I, they won't let me donate blood. Okay. This is fascinating. This is so, to follow up and to close the book on the leeches, are there any positive effects you can think of of leeches on you 
periodically? No. <laughs> None? No. <coughs> so what do I do with all these leeches? <laughs> Toss them in the pond. Okay. That seems like a good way to kill Invasive all the fish. Species. <laughs> Invasive species. Invasive species, yeah. We'll have to have the uh, ecologist on soon. To, that would be interesting, yeah. To we'll talk to about the about effects it. of all these leeches that we've talked about. Pond. Indeed. Yes. All right. Next question. So, um, so, you know, viruses are a thing. They're pretty big in the news right now because of, uh, you know, the coronavirus mm -hmm. and all those things. And we can talk about coronavirus later. That'd probably be an interesting thing yeah, to talk maybe. about. Yeah. But uh, I'm thinking about other things that are like virus-like things. Uh, like viroids and prions. I don't um, know what either of those are. I need a backstory. Okay. Backstory? Yeah. Um, 30 second recap. Prions are the easiest one to explain. It's basically they're a misfolded protein that when it comes in contact with another protein causes that protein to spontaneously misfold and they tend to form clumps and tangles. Mad cow disease is a prion disease hmm. and it's it functions a little bit like Alzheimer's, where basically you start getting a whole bunch of tangled up protein clumps in your brain, and that's what leads to the neurodegeneration. Um, viroids, they're basically little pieces of DNA that aren't coded in a protein, right? And so a virus is basically a genome that has a protein um, coat surrounding it that protects it. Um, viroids are just the genome and they code for, you know, they're evil pieces of DNA or RNA. Yeah. That, but they primarily affect plants is a lot of plant diseases are viroid oh, diseases, that's interesting. but I didn't know as that. far as I know, there are no known human viroids. Okay. Um, huh. Do you care to speculate on that? As a why? Why they would affect plants more than they would affect, uh, animals. Like organ differences. Well, I'm sure some of it is uptake is plants are sometimes a little bit better at swapping genes than we are our genome tends yeah. to be pretty locked down but that plant genomes a, is crazy though plant genomes are crazy is um they replicate and duplicate and plant genomes are doing all kinds of crazy things um and so i don't know if they would take up a viroid easier this is me purely speculating um i'm sure some of it is just that they haven't crossed species lines um, I don't know where they originated, but a lot of diseases are, you know, pretty species-specific. And right. so I'm sure part of it is just that, you know, viroids, you know, to put it scientifically and correctly, haven't figured out how to infect animals yet. Right, and so just like SIV was pretty easily turned into HIV, mm -hmm. it's pretty hard for a apple disease, apple tree disease to, you know, infect exactly. humans. Exactly. Okay, this brings up an interesting question about plants. Okay, I don't know if you know anything about plants. I know a little bit about plants. Okay, we, we talked about... We do have a friend who's a, almost a botanist, right? He's no. an environmental science guy. Uh, that's, that's not the same yeah. thing. That's not the same thing. But about plants and their crazy genomes and things like that, uh, you know, Aristotle... Aristotle seemed to think that I, okay, scientists have an opinion about Aristotle. Philosophers have a different opinion about Aristotle. I, some of them have the same opinion, I suppose. I suppose so do. <laughs> but he thought that plants were lower than animals uh, in terms of, I mean... In terms of, in terms of being. They being, have less right. powers. They can grow and reproduce, and that's basically all I thought they could really do. But it seems that a modern scientific understanding of plants is more nuanced and complex, and to a certain extent, plants are maybe even more evolutionarily complex than animals, perhaps? I would hazard to say no. 
He's a well, philosopher. Well, now we're asking the scientist. As a scientist, the way your question is worded is a bit tricky because we tend to avoid that kind of language. Yes, yeah, the teleological of, language. Yeah, is a lot of modern day scientists even dislike to use the term more or less complex because when you actually start delving into, you know, the molecular biology and all the stuff that's happening, you know, even like bacteria become very, very complex very quickly. Right. Um, and so, you know, but if you mean complex strictly in the, you know, like multicellular with different organs, you know, differentiation, then, you know, that's a fair assessment of it. Um, evolutionarily, plants did come first. Um, and, you know, some plants are pretty far along on the evolutionary tree. You know, they've gone through lots of intermediate species before they got where they are now, got to where they are now from the original plant last common ancestor. But some plants are very, very old and relatively unchanged. Orchids, for example, are a very ancient species of plant. And, you know, while they have a lot of, you know, diversity in terms of petals and where they live, you know, they're actually, you know, evolutionarily very, very old. Right. Um, and so if you're just looking at the number of different systems physically that plants have, they would technically be considered less complex than, like, an animal because, you know, they don't have organs, they don't have several organs, you know, they just have leaves, a vascular system, the roots, and then, you know, usually some kind of flower. But plants have a lot going on. Um, and I think Aristotle was missing a lot about the plant world, is there's constant biological warfare, you know, they're constantly releasing toxins, there are plants that will, like, have their root systems um, really spread out to prevent other root systems. They'll climb all over each other to choke out the sun. And so the when you start getting into botany, it becomes amazing at how much plants like actually have going on. We found trees in forests where if you cut down a tree because it was dying, the neighboring trees in the forest will feed nutrients to the root system of that dead tree to keep the stump alive for years. Um, what? And we're not sure what? why, like, why would they do this? And so plants have complex ecosystems and incredibly complex relationships. And so... Wait, plants have relationships? Well, yeah, I mean, all ecosystems are a relationship with each other. Um, not in the erotic sense. Are you sure about that? <laughs> I think so. If you want to know about sex, plants do it right. They do it every single way. Um, Whoa. There you go. Yeah, if you're ever curious in sex plants do all kinds of crazy things they do it every single way um, okay no no thinking about this trees that help other trees you know this brings my mind to tolkien and you know you know sentient trees mm -hmm. and ants and the ants yes i mean like is there a sense in which you know trees could have it, some could, sort of could a tree or a plant ever ever get sentient evolutionarily yeah, do, do trees have some sort of intelligence <clears throat> well plants Plants do not have some sort of intelligence. Um, is Even scientists will agree is that, um, you know, while there's increasing levels of intelligence, you know, with increasing brain complexity, humans are really the only true, like, super intelligent animal. And every other animal is, you know, lacking some kind of aspect of that. Most scientists will agree with that. Could plants ever become sentient? Um, not to say that, like, a brain is absolutely necessary for sentience, but they would require some other similar kind of organ that performs a similar kind of function. And, you know, 
modern day plants don't have anything close to that. Is it possible that they could, you know, evolve one in the future? I mean, I can't say it's impossible, but highly unlikely in part just because there's no selective pressure for it. So this is uh, changing the subject from plants pretty, pretty drastically. But uh, what is your opinion of essential oils and their medical use? Essential oils. <laughs> Can't I cure, like, all of my diseases if I just take the right essential oils and put them in my diffuser and sniff them? You purposely asked this question to trigger me. <laughs> yeah, possible. Well, well, after this, we're going to talk about crystals, so... And, and, oh. then, and then lastly, we're going to finish with coronavirus, maybe, if there's time. We'll see. Okay. Um, essential oils. I actually believe in essential oils and a lot of herbal or homeopathic remedies, but for basic things like a burn or the common cold or, you know, relieving a slightly upset stomach, right, is a lot of our modern day pharmaceuticals come from plants and essential oils and herbs, you know, they still have these chemicals that, you know, we now synthesize or derive our modern day drugs from and so they can actually help relieving symptoms. And so, you know, I believe that lavender is good for when you burn your hand on the pot on the stove, but it can't cure polio, right? Aloe vera is good for a sunburn. Ginger is good for a stomach upset, but, you know, in will it kill, will, it, will it cure the measles? No, they won't cure the measles. And so we are finding that essential oils can have antimicrobial properties. Um, even against some antibiotic resistant organisms, but I'm not recommending just drinking essential oils if you have, you know, an infection, you should still see a doctor. And really that's more an avenue of researchers are now going to start studying essential oils and figuring out how we can turn them into drugs to new antibiotics to treat bacteria. So, so on this point, uh, there was a, an exhibit at the Houston Museum of Natural Science. It might still be going on. It went on for a very long time called, uh, death uh, of natural causes and it went through all of the natural quote-unquote ways that you could die and they had a section on poisons and there were a lot of essential oils there and, and apparently mm. there are some essential oils that have really high ld50s and it seems like maybe people don't know that some are toxic and do you think that there should be better better awareness better packaging saying yeah, like hey should the government regulate them should the government regulate <laughs> essential oils well like all things people start ingesting, the FDA, for better or for worse, starts to get involved. Yeah. And so I do think there needs to be better information about the dangers of essential oils. Is a lot of them, you know, putting a drop in an entire, you know, teapot full of tea, you know, isn't going to cause problems. But when you start drinking tons of it every single day, yeah, it is highly toxic and will start to harm you. Um, same with, you know, applying to your skin, you know, mixing a little bit in with, you know, a large thing of lotion and then using that so it smells nice, you know, that's one thing, but applying it directly to your skin, it usually needs to be diluted, especially when done on a daily basis. So I do think people need to be more aware that, you know, all things in moderation, right? You can't just start drinking them willy-nilly. Do you think this maybe is a problem caused by maybe the scientific community's disregard for uh, essential oils and kind of the branding of people who use essential oils as unscientific folk and maybe the, the tension between the two camps that is causing some of the misinformation out there? Well, I think there's some tension, but I think you're misplacing where the tension is. Is for 
the scientific community is growing more towards, you know, looking towards herbs and essential oils and a lot of plants to find, you know, new drugs to help us. And, you know, the pharmaceutical industry has always been looking to plants to, you know, find new drugs. That's where a lot of our chemicals come from. Um, and I think the tension is actually between, you know, the people that say that these things will cure cancer and all kinds of other diseases and, you know, turning away from any kind of medicine in favor of these herbal remedies, um, especially when you have a serious disease. And so I think that's actually where the tension comes from. So I think you were, Nemec, you were going to ask about crystals. Well, right? yeah, this is kind of related. Uh, uh, crystals, should they have healing powers? Not Can that they? I'm aware of. Okay. So, so on the same topic, though. I've heard people claim that crystals, the reason people think crystals work is because they actually work as a placebo. Same way, in the same way that maybe essential oils work for some people and other forms of, yeah. of, you know, home remedies may work for people for, you know, not severe illnesses as a form of, or even for severe illnesses yeah. as a placebo. What I mean, do you think? Study after study after study has demonstrated the power of your mind and the placebo effect. And so if you ardently believe that, you know, these crystals are going to heal you, you will also likely start to feel better. However, that doesn't mean you're actually getting better. As we see this a lot with um, cancer patients in clinical trials um, where they don't take a placebo, but they take what's called the gold standard. And so the current best of the best drug regimen for cancer is, you know, your control group, and then you're comparing it to, you know, the new drug that you think is even better. And cancer patients will believe that they're on this new drug that's supposed to cure their cancer better than the old drug that maybe they've already taken before. And they'll, you know, start saying that they feel better, that they're less nauseous, you know, that they're stronger. But when you actually, like, look at their cancer and monitor it, they're not getting better. They're getting worse. Oh, my. And so our minds are incredibly powerful, and we can't underestimate the power of belief. But feeling better doesn't always mean getting better, especially when you're not actually treating anything. Is, is this why cancer ads for cancer treatment centers are always like really positive? Like we've got the best medicine and you know, like the, kind like, of reinforce the we, we do all the different types of, all the different types of treatment <laughs> available, including the ones that everyone else won't do. Yeah. You know, I have mean, you seen those ads before? Yeah. I think I know about? what you're talking about. Um, I suppose, but I also suppose part of it is that, Cancer is a scary disease that has, you know, a super high death rate. It's like the number one um, disease, like, that kills people in the United States and possibly the globe. But I think some third world country bacterial infections still have cancer beat. But, you know, I think a lot of it is also just, you know, positivity. It's incredibly scary. And if your job is to, you know, convince people to come to you for treatment, you want to make sure they know that, like, you're going to be giving them the best possible care and you're not going to stop until you've run out of options. And so I'm sure it's also a marketing Oops. scheme. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, with, the, with the remaining about 10 minutes or so, um, uh, there was this relates to the beginning question I asked, and so it's a good bookend. I saw a meme circulating that seemed to indicate that alcohol in extreme quantities could kill the coronavirus. Your thoughts on this and the coronavirus. This is, of course, as of uh, mid-February 2019, I'm sure. 2020. If, er, 2020, wow. Yeah. Ahead of if me. this was 2019, we'd be prophetic. With this, is <laughs> very true. this is very true. 
2020. This is, this of course, is presuming that people will eventually hear this episode and not be killed by the coronavirus. Hopefully, The coronavirus actually only has a 10% mortality rate, and so... Oh, um, so 90% of people that get it will still be living after it infects the whole world? Or, you know, they're still sick, but they just haven't died yet. The recovery Uh, rate isn't that great either, but... So I heard from one of my coworkers that it's two point one percent. Is it? Is it? Was he incorrect? Is it ten? Um, under ten percent is everything I see. Um, but you know, the numbers are changing on a daily basis for that, so it's hard to keep track. This is Chinese so government. What it's it, what also it, the Chinese what government. It, what exactly does it do? How does it work? Basically, it, the closest thing I can say is it causes pneumonia-like symptoms. Um, and so, you know, an increase in mucus and fluid in your lungs is part of your body's own immune response to the virus, which, you know, causes coughing. It makes it hard to breathe. You get a fever. Um, it typically infects the lungs, but you can also start to have upper respiratory issues. And when it was first discovered, it was actually thought to be some new type of pneumonia, not a novel virus is the first patient actually just was admitted with, you know, unusual pneumonia. Hmm. And so, basically, it gives you viral pneumonia. Viral pneumonia, that does not sound good. And so, pneumonia is a bacterial infection, then? Traditionally. Traditionally. Um, but so, pneumonia describes symptoms, not... Uh, not disease. Not, a, not the actual yes, strain of... Is, originally, pneumonia was uh, just kind of a broad term, and then we realized that all of these symptoms, because your body actually has a very set stock of responses to any kind of pathogen that infects you, and so... If it infects your lungs, there's like, you know, a checklist of six things that we run down. And, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a bacteria or a virus infecting your lungs. For the most part, we're going to start running down that checklist of six things. And so later on, we realized that there were kind of two main causes of pneumonia, bacterial and viral. And the way you treat those is very different. Um, Obviously, for bacterial, you would give antibiotics for a virus that wouldn't work at all. Um, and so we now categorize it as bacterial pneumonia and viral pneumonia, but it better means a set of symptoms. Okay. And where does the name coronavirus come from? Like, I've also heard it, people call it as uh, the Wuhan virus, because that's where it comes from in China. Well, so... Or respiratory something syndrome or something like that. Yeah. And so those are all... The Wuhan virus is, you know not the official name. The official name is COVID-19. Um, but the uh, sudden acute respiratory syndrome, there's also um, MERS, which is Middle East Respiratory Syndrome. So like those three names are all the colloquial names or sometimes even the scientific names for a specific strain of a coronavirus. Okay, so um, coronavirus is a genus of some sort? Not a species. In the, in the yeah. philosophic in the sense. Philosophic. In the I know philosoph- these are viruses. In the philosophic sense, yes. Coronavirus is a genus, and then the different colloquial names are, you know, species. And so it's actually called the coronavirus because if you look at it under an electron microscope, it has a whole bunch of uh, protein receptors sticking out of it that look like a crown. Okay. And so corona, crown, huh. halo, it actually looks like it has a halo surrounding it. And so coronavirus, you know, it's a virus that has a crown. That's actually pretty That's cool. I'm glad I know that. I know now, we know that it's not named after Corona beer. Well, I didn't think it was named after Corona beer, but I didn't know why it was named coronavirus. That's fascinating. So, how do we treat it? What do we do? Are we all going to die? <laughs> well, okay, are, are, 90 per, are 10% of us going to die? I don't know if 10% of us are going to die. Um, currently, researchers around the world are testing the coronavirus against um, lots of antivirals, and we've actually found several antivirals that are working. 
And so for the most part, it's basically just symptom management and hoping that, you know, the body kind of overcomes it on its own and, you know, keeping your fever down, preventing your lungs from totally filling with fluid. Um, but as we study it more, we're going to find more and more drugs that are effective against it. And so there are like, I think, three antivirals that we found so far that are effective against the new strain of coronavirus. And so last I heard the Chinese government and, you know, a whole bunch of researchers and the World Health Organization were all working together to, you know, figure out how they were going to start implementing these things. Um, there is no vaccine. And so other than, you know, just good hygiene, there's no great way to prevent you from getting it. But, you know, we are working on good treatments for it. Interesting. So, uh, I've, well, yeah, yeah another, question. another question about coronavirus. I've heard some people describe uh, coronavirus as maybe having potential, you know, genetic or evolutionary significance for, you know, humans or at least humans of our eras. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, like all, it's interesting in part just because we get to watch an evolutionary arms race unfold in real time before our eyes is um, in when you talk about evolution, one of the big things is talking about something called Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium. Mm -hmm. And Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium is basically a list of five things like a large population size, you know, random mating, and a couple other things where basically if all of these five requirements are met, then your population is not going to evolve at all. It'll stay mostly static. Um, but when you start violating certain requirements of Hardy-Weinberg equilibrium, then you have what's called an evolutionary event. And basically now you have a whole bunch of selective pressure towards one thing. And so with this coronavirus, and especially with it happening over the Lunar New Year, um, we see a mass migration of a population, which increases the population density of a lot of cities. We also see a whole bunch of the primary people that get it are actually middle-aged businessmen. And those middle-aged businessmen will, you know, hop on business class and travel around the world, which we think is how it's spreading, you know, to different countries is primarily through businessmen. Um, is this not just another attempt at, uh, attempted <laughs> diss at capitalism? Yeah. And, I mean, they're coming from China. And this is so, very true. It seems unlikely you know, that the capitalists are coming from China. Yeah. And so it's just interesting to watch because we can identify certain Hardy-Weinberg principles that are being violated, which means a major evolutionary event is going to occur. Now, the question is, is this going to cause the new strain of coronavirus to evolve yet again and we'll get a second strain of coronavirus that's new? Or is it going to cause the human population to evolve? And so it's kind and the effects of that are basically going to be who comes out on top. Is this going to be like another Spanish flu outbreak from the early 20th century where like a third of the world's population gets sick and dies? Or is it going to be, you know, a was it really a third? I didn't think it was a third. It was a lot. of. I people. thought it was like a tenth or an eighth or it was a thirtieth. Depends on what country you were in. Oh, well, I meant like, but I didn't think That's anywhere. I didn't think I didn't think it spread past Europe. Or, no, no it, was, it was all over the world. It was all over the really? world. I did not know no, that the Spanish was, flu got to um, Asia. No, it was U.S., Europe, Africa, Asia, because it was spread by World War One soldiers. Um, mm. And, you know, they were marching absolutely everywhere, and then people were traveling, and so it was all over the world. Yeah, I didn't think that it get infected uh, China or Russia. Oh, wait, wait, wait. People traveling is what spreads diseases? Yes. Interesting. <laughs> so if, if we built a lot of walls and kept people in specific geographic places and there was not a commingling of people 
Well, with, so with this. China is actually trying that with Wuhan City, but what yeah, we're quickly finding out is what a quarantine actually means is just a quarantine for poor people. Um, is, you know, Oof. usually when these things Hard happen tricks. is the people that have enough money to buy the plane ticket, the train ticket, you know, that have a car, you know, will leave right before the quarantine comes down. And the people that are left are the people that literally cannot afford to go anywhere else. And so usually when we quarantine things or start building walls or stuff, what happens is the people that get stuck and get sick are the poor people. So this would mean that quarantines uh, are accidentally elitist? Large-scale city quarantines, yes. You know, a quarantine in, like, a hospital or something, no. But, you know, when we start quarantining entire cities or even entire countries, they are accidentally elitist. Interesting. Wow. This this brings up very interesting questions that maybe we can address in a future episode yeah, about, about, you know, what... what, what the elitism the, of medicine? What, maybe, but, you know, what's just to do in sort of these crises? I but, feel like a, a justice episode about medicine might be, might be fascinating. Yeah, but, uh, you know, I think uh, that brings a, brings us to a conclusion. Yeah, I we think. really appreciate you coming appreciate on the coming show. On, Galen. It was fun. If yeah. you guys like having guests on, I think we enjoyed having guests yeah, on. It was entertaining. We, we didn't have to do as much talking. So yeah, guys. Yeah. Uh, please let us know. And until then, remember, boiling your stomach in alcohol, we've determined, probably doesn't work, right? But you should try it anyway in you moderation. You can't boil your stomach in alcohol. That's a factually incorrect statement. <laughs>